I'm Pastor Daniel Morris, and you're listening to Sharing the Bread of Life, a podcast by St. Timothy's Lutheran Church in Skokie, Illinois. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular subscriber, I pray that Christ feeds you from the stories and testimony you'll hear today. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May the Lord fill you with every good thing, and may you have enough left over to share. A reading from Deuteronomy. Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today. You shall learn them and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us, here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the fire. At that time I was standing between the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall do no, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, so that your days may be long, and that it may go well for you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, neither shall you commit adultery, neither shall you steal, Neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife. Neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children, and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It had been seven generations since God promised Abraham countless descendants and all the land in Canaan. At times, It seemed as if God would fail to deliver on that promise. 
Fulfillment was repeatedly threatened by infertility, famine, and most especially brutal enslavement under a tight-fisted despot in Egypt. Yet here they were, standing on the edge of Canaan, ready for the conquest. Their parents had stood in that same spot 40 years earlier, only they refused to enter the land. Most of that generation was convinced God had saved them from Egypt only to kill them some other way, perhaps by the sword of the Canaanites. Now the people were ready to claim their promised inheritance from God's hand. Given the way things went for their parents, you can hardly blame Moses for reminding the people of their obligations to God. After God displaced Pharaoh as Israel's Lord, God entered into a legal contract with the people of Israel. Similar to the suzerain vassal treaties of the ancient Near East, the contract between God and Israel governed the relationship between, between Israel with God and Israel with the neighbor. Consider the way that a lease governs the relationship between a landlord and a tenant. It might spell out when payment is due, who is responsible for fixing that leaky pipe, and what the consequences are for violating the terms of the lease. In Israel's case, God would bless them with a long and good life in the land while they abided by the terms of the contract. If they disregarded the contract, God would cast them out of the land and hand them over to other lords. They would remain in bondage until they returned to God with all their heart and all their soul. Then God would take them back for the sake of God's promise to their ancestors. This new generation was bound by the contract that their parents entered into at Horeb. All future generations would be bound by this contract as well. Moses made this clear when he said, Not with your ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here, alive today. This contract was so important to Israel's relationship with God and neighbor that Moses commanded them to speak it, think it, write it, and carve it everywhere, even on the doorposts of their homes. God wove it into the very fabric of Israelite society, like a worker at the loom. Without careful attention to God's commandments, Israel's social fabric might unravel. Laws are a significant part of any nation's social fabric. Laws help us live together in peace. They govern our relationships with one another, and they set limits to protect us. Right now, we collectively have a sense that our social fabric is unraveling. The values that we've held for generations are being questioned. The stories that we've cherished as our own are being rewritten. It's as if someone began picking at a loose yarn 
until the very things that held us together were pulled out from beneath our feet. We fear the loneliness that comes when neighbors tell stories that reinterpret our own. We fear the grief that comes when our children cast aside our long-held values. Our gut reaction tells us to double down on rules and limits. We circle the wagons to protect ourselves and our vision of life together. We fight tooth and nail against whoever or whatever we perceive as a threat. At the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves if this is really how God intended for us to live together. If we close our minds and our hearts to our neighbor, to the neighbor who challenges us, we have also closed ourselves off to God. If we cannot be open to the neighbor who, though different from us, is like us, how can we be open to God who is wholly different from us? A stubborn heart brought God's wrath down on Egypt. Closed minds caused the first generation of the covenant to die in the wilderness. Let us not make those same mistakes. It may be that the questions and the unfamiliar stories will lead us into a deeper understanding of that which binds us together. While the Ten Commandments are found in various forms among most cultures, they are not specifically binding to you or me. We are Gentiles. Our ancestors were not there at Horeb. The people of Israel entered into this special relationship with God, not us. The Ten Commandments are extremely useful for teaching and for personal reflection. However, they do not represent a binding legal contract among God, us, and our neighbors. There is only one legally binding contract that unites us. It is the suffering and death of our Lord, Jesus Christ. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Christ alone was responsible for fulfilling the terms of the covenant on behalf of humanity. And he ratified it with his own life force on the cross. This contract governs our relationship with God and with one another. God displaced Pharaoh as Israel's Lord. And this same God in Christ has displaced all powers and people who would claim mastery over us. Likewise, Christ has taken to himself all of those whom we would claim mastery over. All have become servants of Christ, which means that the way we treat each other is the way that we treat Christ himself. You and I both know how difficult it can be to see Christ in the neighbor. Chances are that you've come across someone in your lifetime, someone who has really put you to the test. 
we wonder, does this sinner really deserve the love and respect that I show Jesus? Then again, we might ask, do I really deserve the love and the respect that Jesus has shown a sinner like me? It's important to remember that being a servant of Christ is not necessarily the same thing as being a faithful servant. One can be a servant of Christ and do wicked things. Rest assured, they will have to answer to Christ for the things that they've done, just as you and I will have to answer to Christ for the things that we've done. Also, rest assured, that we stand together under the covenant of mercy ratified by Christ's blood. God's covenant in Christ is the one thing that binds all of us together. It is the common thread that God has woven into the social fabric of our world. The covenant, this covenant, is the good news that we are sent to proclaim. Jesus gave his life freely, out of love for all people. All things hold together in him. We do not need to be afraid when new generations question our values. We do not need to be afraid when new perspectives change the way that we tell our most cherished stories. Christ is our collective story. His suffering and his death are our values. He is faithful. And no power in heaven or on earth or under the earth can take us from his saving hand. Faithfulness is consistently one of God's most defining characteristics in Scripture. Time and again, God would make good on every promise that God made. The Israelites would enter the promised land under Moses' successor, Joshua. God would fulfill the promise to Abraham, giving his descendants the land of Canaan. Then God would raise up judges to help Israel live faithfully in the land. Their faithfulness would be a blessing for all who lived among them. Soon, the faithfulness of one particular Israelite family would bless a Moabite widow named Ruth. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Sharing the Bread of Life. For more information on the mission and ministries of St. Timothy's Lutheran Church, please visit our website at www.stTimothyskokie.org or like us on Facebook. Check back next week for a new episode. The blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Mm-hmm.